Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. And I'm Aubrey, and we're so glad that you're with us today. We are uh, so glad that a, you're with us. This is a fun episode because, uh, not fun, fun is not the right word, Davey, but this is a powerful episode, and it I was is, trying yeah. to figure out how I know uh, Lisa, Lisa Apollo is who you have a conversation yeah. with later, and I think I've just been, I've been seeing her name around and seeing this book around, and I think part of it is because the story is... Yeah. incredible, right? It is, it is pretty, it is incredible. I mean, you know, what's fun, what's interesting is you mentioned that Aubrey and, and it's so crazy how different worlds intersect and overlap. And especially the more you and I have done this and we've met people and we've, mm-hmm. but like when you get thrust into pain, mm. it like, we've said this before, but it, you are now a member of a club that nobody has ever wanted to pay the membership dues for. <laughs> Isn't that so true? Like you don't want to be invited into this club. You don't want to be invited into mm-hmm. it. And yet when you get into it, you, you're so appreciative that there are other people that you come in contact yeah. with, you yeah. interact with. And yeah. it's like God starts doing this networking thing. And it's, it's, the, it's like their stories that really bolster your faith and your yes. hope. Yes. And Lisa is one of those, you know, as I got on and had this conversation with her, I, re- I learned, oh, she knows this person and this person, she's done this retreat with this person. And it's like, hey, our, our worlds have been intersecting in a lot of different ways. And this is the first time we're actually Amazing. having a conversation. And likewise for you too, you're like, is she, where, where have I Right. Where have I, I know her. her where, and I feel like that's it. It's like the worlds are colliding. So God yeah. clearly brought her to the ministry and she's a speaker and author and a mom too. Seven children. <laughs> Just say that one more time. Yep. Seven children. <laughs> that might be the perfect <laughs> biblical number, but I'm gonna tell you right now, when <laughs> I, when children is on the other side of that, right. that is not a perfect number. <laughs> no, 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 no. That might be the Ooh. number of completeness, but I don't want seven kids. She married her high school sweetheart oh. Dan, and in 2011, her life was completely shattered when Dan died unexpectedly making her a widow and single Mm. mom of seven. That's what she's going to talk to you about in just a minute. Her book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Mm. Back Together After It Falls Apart, uh, just released in April. I think it was April 19th. So that is... Ooh, hey, the that is that God a has shown wonderful up. title, by the way. Life yeah. Can Be Good Again. Because mm-hmm. that's the question that everybody asks. Mm-hmm. When, they hit, when they run into some sort of trauma or tragedy, especially yeah. the loss of a spouse, the loss of a loved one, someone who's close, they're like, that's the lie that the enemy would love for them mm-hmm. to believe is life cannot be good again. Mm-hmm. Your best days are behind you. Wow. And um, although those days are, are the, there is a grief and there is a sad, there is an absolute yeah. mourning of the fact that those days can never yeah. be um, here again, mm-hmm. your best days are not behind you. Mm. Oh, and life can dating. be good again. So, whew, thank you, Lisa. That's yep. a good title. Great right title. There. Hey, before we listen to your conversation with Lisa, I want to read a review that we got. This was from the Derwin Gray episode, which I yes. love Derwin Gray. Yes. love the conversation <laughs> that you had with him. Here's what someone says. Davey, I appreciate these race conversations that you enter into, and I Mm. hope to continue to hear more. There is pain that our black and brown brothers and sisters walk through that we only can experience as white folks through the telling of their stories. Mm. Keep amplifying their voices. 
They know all too well that God doesn't waste their pain. Derwin said that preachers, this is true. This has actually happened at our church. Derwin said that preachers lose funding sometimes when they start talking about race. And here's what this reviewer said. I'm making a donation to your ministry. Nothing is wasted because you chose to talk about it. Thank you, brother. I know, pretty cool, right? Wow, wow. Well, thank you for um, writing that in. Thank you for the donation. Um, That definitely is very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, a lot of people don't understand that it takes quite a bit of financing and underwriting to make a ministry like this happen. We're not just a podcast. We are, there's an entire ministry infrastructure where, you know, we have a core team of about eight people, but then also, you know, coaches and people all over the country Mm -hmm. that we are working with to try to walk beside churches and people as they are helping people find purpose out of their pain. And so thank you for doing that. That that really means a lot to us. And thank you for writing that review. If you uh, had this episode or any other episode has ministered to you, we would Love to invite you to write a review, rate this podcast on Apple Podcast. It really helps uh, to make this more accessible to people. They're able to access it a lot easier because it helps for the podcast to kind of climb in the charts. That's right. So that people can see it and they can be exposed to these really great stories. And so if you could partner with us and help us by doing that, that would minister to us so much. We yep. love hearing minister your to us, minister to other people. Well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and take a listen to Davy's conversation with Lisa Apollo. Well, Lisa, it's so great to have you joining me on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, we were just chatting about, um, you know, some mutual friends that we have. And unfortunately, we have those mutual friends because we've both experienced some devastating loss, the loss of our spouse. And, you know, I, I hate and love all at the same time when I get to have a conversation with someone who's walked through the same thing that I have. I hate it because we walked through it. And I love it because God connects us so that we can encourage each other and, and encourage the other people who are walking through this. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. I'm in, anticipating this conversation and know that God's going to do something really rich and fresh through it. So thank you for spending some time with us. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've well, followed why don't you, do this? Why don't you tell time. us a little bit about your life right now? And, you know, then we'll, we'll deep dive back into your story. Um, you know, I obviously gave away a little bit of it, but I'd love to hear about what you're doing right now. I know you are about to release a book called Life Can Be Good Again. Uh, it's releasing in April. And so that's exciting. Congratulations. Um, and, you know, like me, I, I'm sure you never would have wished to write this book, but and God's using your story in a really powerful way. But tell us a little bit about what does it look like in your life right now? Well, I'm a mom of seven. Um, having said that, I have Ooh, watched Hold five. on a second. A mom of seven? <laughs> a mom of seven. We did not start out that way. My husband wanted two. I wanted three. And we you know, I had to kind of bargain with them, make a deal to get to three. And then God just overrode that. And I'm so grateful. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're a mom of seven. Mom of seven. Um, but I have launched five, um, long time okay. homeschool mom. So, uh, I was an attorney back in the day and really thought that I would always, you know, have a part-time practice and have my children here. You know, I just have my life all planned out mm. and, um, but God takes us on twists and turns that, that they're good. So five are launched. I'm actually, um, I actually have several grandchildren now. Wow. And um, I have two in the home that I'm actively homeschooling and parenting and raising. And uh, 
I love ministry to women and um, writing, speaking, and just even just meeting over coffee with a woman, just yeah. to listen to her and pray with her and encourage her. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you made that distinctive because, um, you know, some of us that do that where we write and we speak and, you know, there we do have the opportunity to be in front of a larger group of people. And yet one of the things I find is the most enriching is sitting across the table from one person and just having that deep level of connection. And, you know, and this is a little bit of an offshoot, but I, I, I resonate with that a lot because I think people they will often say, man, I want to, you know, I want to influence hundreds. I want to influence thousands of people with whatever they're going through their story. And, but, you know, I think just stewarding the one and being passionate about sitting down to have coffee and making a difference in one person's life is, is more than what we could, you know, really understand. It, it, it does so much more for the kingdom. You know, that's what I wanted so desperately when, um, when my husband died suddenly, I just remember thinking, I, if, if I could just find one person mm. who has walked this path, who's a little bit ahead of me, because I had so many questions and I had so much fear, and I just wanted one person who could sit down with me over coffee. Yeah. And I didn't have it. That's part of why I wrote the book, because I wanted to be able to reach back to that person who, you know, um, wants to, to have answers to these questions and want somebody who's a few steps ahead who right. can say, yeah, I know God will be faithful. I know that in my head, but I, I want to see it lived out in a person because yeah. that is just such testimony to us. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. And that's what's so intimate about, you know, being able to write a book and someone's, I mean, I, I sit and read in the mornings over coffee when the whole house is asleep and I feel intimately connected with that author. You know, and so I'm really glad that you're putting this work out into the world. Let, why don't we talk a little bit about, you know, what brought this work about the catalyst for this um, in your story? So let's dive back and you kind of start us at whatever you would deem the starting point and narrate for us for a little bit. Well, Dan was my um, high school sweetheart. He was my only he was my only boyfriend. He was my first date, my only date. We'd met in seventh grade youth group. So we went back, you know, we were just in a cluster of friends and um, by high school that had changed. And uh, so we married in college and, you know, fast forward, life was definitely not perfect. We had been through struggles. We had been through parenting struggles, financial struggles, but we were really in a good place. Dan was in a good job that he liked. He was thriving in it. I loved watching him thrive in that work. I was home with the kids. I was no longer practicing law. And I thought this is how life will always be, you know? Yeah. Um, on a very, it was actually Father's Day weekend on a very normal Thursday night. Uh, kids were upstairs in bed and I said, good night, honey, went to bed. And he said, I'll be in there in a minute. I'm gonna do some work for my mom. And in the early hours of Friday morning, I woke up um, to, really my eyes didn't even open, but I just heard his funny breathing and woke me up and I reached over my hand and just nudged him and said, you're just having a nightmare, fully expecting him to turn over. We'd wake up when his alarm went off. Um, but as I woke up more from his breathing, I realized on the pillow next to me, something very diff you know, hard was happening and called 911, started CPR right away, did all the things we need to do. The paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. And I thought he's gonna be so mad when he wakes up and he realizes he has to miss work. And um, then at the ER, the doctor took us, took me into that little room you never want to go into. Yeah. 
and said that they had worked on him for a couple hours and they had never been able to revive him. And so I, I walked into that, to the room where he was and just remember coaching myself, like memorize Lisa, every feature of this face. This, mm. this is it. This is the last time and slipping off his wedding band. And then I think the hardest part of all was turning to go home to tell our seven kids yeah. that their dad was now in heaven. Well, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm, if, if I'm mistaken, but I mean, this was just so sudden and unexpected, right? I mean, there was, were there some health complications? I mean, you know, you're describing the scene in the, in the hospital and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're experiencing just absolute shock. Like, I can't believe like almost probably in, in a fog. Can you describe what it felt like in those moments? You know, I mean, things like slipping his wedding band off and, trying to mem- trying to have like the wherewithal in the moment of like hearing this news to memorize his face. Like, these are things that are just, you never expect you're going to experience. No. And you know, there's no manual for it. And so, but God is so present in it. And I don't so much know that I was getting downloads from him in, in those moments at all, but he was all over it. You know, for me at the time, when I, when I got that news, um, it, I, I understood what covenant marriage was and what God does in marriage to make two one more than I ever had before. Yeah. Because when you, when two have been joined together and that one is ripped apart, mm. whether it's sudden or not, there is just a rendering. There is a tearing. And I remember my mom used to take old towels and she would snip it and then she would just take it and rip mm. it down to make rags out of it. And that's what I felt like. I felt like he had just been ripped off away from me and I was left dangling raw edge. Um, You know, going home to tell my kids was, was so hard as as God would have it. I had one um, who was waiting at the end of the driveway. He'd been texting and texting and calling. And of course I was not going to tell him over the phone, met him at at the foot of the driveway. A friend had met me at the hospital and drove me home. Um, told him, and as I walked into the house, I kept kind of meeting my children. My oldest happened to be at camp. He was a camp counselor at Ridgecrest and was about to leave for like five days of hiking on the Mm. Appalachian Trail. I knew we wouldn't be able to get hold of him. And uh, we had a friend, you know, it was even too early to even call the camp. Um, And so we had a friend that was at her mountain home right outside and through a series of connections, you know, we learned that she was there and she drove over and she was there with him mm. when I told him on the phone that his dad had died. And you're right. There was no evidence. There was anything. It was not a typical heart attack. There was an underlying issue that, you know, had we known about, it could have been, it might've been treatable. Yeah. Um, so that also is something to process, you know, right. the regret there, the, the why, the, should I have known? Should I have seen? Should I have sent him to the doctor? Mm-hmm. Wow. Can can you tell me a little bit about that processing for you? Because um, you bring up a really, really good point that nearly everyone I talk to who has lost someone has some kind of a, a almost a guilt, or a wrestling, a regret that they're struggling through and they have to they have to process through that. You know, I, I almost feel like it's a prerequisite to our healing that even if someone else could look at your story and be like, there's no way you could have any idea. You're still feeling that you're still sensing that. Right. 
Talk to me about how you process through that. I, it is, as I talk to women, I find that too, that it is across the board that we have either guilt or regret. Um, and I think, I think part of it's the enemy trying to get his foot in there into our devastating circumstance. But I think part of it is our own natural bent to say, I could have fixed this. I wish I could have fixed this. So even after loss, we want to fix it for our kids. And we're yeah. just met with the impossibility. Really, sometimes for the first time, the utter impossibility of being able to fix our broken heart, yeah. being able to fix our hearts for our children, being able to fix what happened. Mm. And for me, um, I very quickly just surrendered that to the Lord. Not once, it was it was a process, but I had somebody in my family who was a, a, in the medical field and she sat me down and said, you know, kind of walked me through the truth of even mm -hmm. what doctors have to, the, the statistics for even doctors who encounter that kind of situation. Yeah. And so that kind of let me off the hook there, like that I hadn't, oh, if I had only done CPR better or if I had, you know, but I just had to, you know, there's Psalm 139, I memorized years ago with my kids, probably one of my favorite songs, have woken up so many mornings, even before Dan passed away with those words just on my head as I steal a few yeah. minutes, more minutes in bed. And one of the verses says, every day of ours was written in God's book before one of them came to be. Yeah, yeah. And that came back to me so clearly. Every time I would question, why, you know, why this, this, man who was such a good dad and why when he was you know active at church teaching these sixth grade boys and why when he was taking care of his mom and that verse i just had yep. to lean into it that yep. every one of dan's days and ours as well yep. have been written in god's book before one of them came to be yeah that's so good lisa i i remember having to have the same exact wrestling out of the same verse and it helped me you know, some people could look at that and, you know, cause what they're, what you're looking at is the sovereignty of God, that he's in control, right? That he, he has all of this in his hands, right? The whole world in his hands as we, as we learned in Bible, you know, Bible, uh, vacation Bible school growing up, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. And, and while some people could look at that and that that could render a lot of fear cause that the unknown, you know, you have to, you have to go back and go, you know, recognize that no matter what, whether you think you're in control or not, control is the greatest illusion that there is. We aren't in control. And so I would much rather my life be in the hands of a loving heavenly father who wants what's best for me and knows what's best for me. And so I remember wrestling that with that when Amanda passed, it was, you know, it, it didn't matter if I was married to Amanda or if someone else was 28 years was, was her, the number of her days set out from the very beginning from her conception, the Lord knew the number of her days. And it wasn't, you know, the reassuring thing to me was it, 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 it wasn't going to make a difference even how it happened. That was the number of her days. And yet we had these expectations kind of these preconceived notions that we're going to have X number of years. And, and we just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. It's a wrestling because um, very early on, uh, it, it had to have been weeks afterwards. So I had a four-year-old, a six-year-old, 12-year-old, 14, 16, 17, 19. And I knew that my kids would question how their dad had died and mm -hmm. whether that would affect them. Um, and, but weeks after he died, we were in the car 
praise music was on. We'd had a weekend that somebody had given us away at their at their condo. It's just to kind of like get away and just yeah. have tuck away as a family. We were coming home from that, and in the middle of that like scene, my my six year old said, "I don't want to die like Daddy. I don't want to die oh, like no. Daddy." And so I turned the music off, wow. and we had that discussion that God knows our days. And I said, you know, we still we can still wear sunscreen, right? And we can yeah. still wear our seatbelts yeah. in the car, but ultimately, God knows our days. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that is, it gives us such purpose. Yeah. It does. It's not exactly so much a right. uh, 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 you know bad thing that, but that that the days that He give uh, gives us have incredible purpose. Yep. And I'll tell you one thing is death, a diagnosis, these tragedies in life, they wake us up yeah. to eternity. Yeah. Because even if we are a longtime Christian, we're in church, we're singing the songs, we're in the word, we really can filter everything through our life and our agenda. Mm. And when we're shaken up, it's just, it's so good because we see again, life is short, but it can be deep with God and purposeful and meaningful. And I want that. Yeah. I don't want to miss it. Yeah. That's so good. You know, scripture says over and over, life is but a breath. It's fleeting, you know, as the flower fades and as the grass withers, we will as well. Right. But, but you know, what I love that you're saying that this should on the, we should see it on the flip side that we have no idea how long we have to live. And so to maximize and steward well the life that we have here so that one Amen. day we look at Jesus whenever that time comes and, and, and he, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your reward. And so these moments do wake us up to that reality that life is fleeting, that it's short. And so we have to make the biggest difference that we can right here and right now. I want to put a pin on some of those conversations with your kids, because I want to come back to that. Um, you, I mean, especially with seven kids, I'm sure there were a lot of different moments that you had some of these conversations, but I'd love to zero in for a second first on some of the immediate aftermath. We talk a lot at nothing is wasted about just the deep levels of, of grief and darkness and the emotions that we're going to experience that are very uh, you know, uncomfortable to say the least, but very painful emotions. And, and our tendency is to run away from those emotions or to suppress them and numb them. Can you talk about some of those immediately following the, the months, weeks after where you're experiencing the, the deep heartache of, of this loss? And I'll say years. I mean, right, right. I was surprised. I was so naive about grief. I was surprised how long it took me. Yeah to really get my feet under me um, mm. and feel good again, just to, to truly feel, you know, make a plan for the week or the year. Um, it was for me, it was every morning waking up and almost initially thinking, you know, having that it's a new morning and then immediately mm. just having this reality crash yeah. in of, oh yeah, yep. this is my life. And honestly, if I did not have children to get up for, I don't know what I would have done. But I told myself, Lisa, they have lost one, one parent. They cannot lose another. And so I would kind of will myself to get up out of bed and try to show up as well as I could. And we were all grieving together. I did not put on a happy face or, you know, they saw me cry. We did have constant 
very real discussions. I was very concerned for them mm -hmm. and their grief journey. Although I can't do it with them, I can certainly shepherd them through it. And so yeah. there was a lot of that. Um, the emotions for me were just, of course, that physical, almost knife wound that mm -hmm. you're carrying with you, even when you're shopping in the grocery store and the cashier's like, How, did you find everything? Mm -hmm. You know, that whole time you're carrying that physical wound, even though you're like, yeah, I found everything. Um, there was the, the emotions of uh, loneliness was huge in the evenings. Um, the decision overwhelm was in just incredible, trying to make all the decisions, not just for the estate work, which is a full-time job, but for the kids and finances of the house and the broken water heater. And mm. um, there was fear, a lot of fear. We were mm. a single-income family. And while I knew in my head that God had always provided for us, I really wondered how in the world that was gonna look for us, I told my kids, I said, I'm not, I'm not scared of cutting coupons and we will do it. <laughs> they were so talking about my kids. The second night after Dan died, my older boys, 16 and 19 came to me and said, are we going to be okay? Wow. And they, one of them said, are we going to have to go to a boarding school? Wow. I mean, our kids, we just don't know what they're thinking and yeah. what, how they're going to be. And I sat them down and said, yes. We are going to be okay. Daddy took some steps. We have some financial security. We will be, uh, your dad loved us wow. and we will be okay. Wow. You know, but we, you know, those emotions, go ahead. go ahead. No, 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 that's okay. Keep continue. Yeah. I was just going to say those, those emotions are, they're just too much for us. What do we do with them? Right. And, right. um, they're too much to pour out on one person. They're too much, you know, for us to handle. And so every day what I would do is I would kind of get my kids going in the morning and get away in my minivan and cry out to God. My minivan became my little sacred place where it was quiet. No, my, the phone was ringing. The child wouldn't come in. And in that place, I could just audibly cry out to God. I could journal yeah. um, all my fears, all my questions, all my prayer requests, and my needs. And I would do all of that, and then I would open up. Uh, the ch our church had been reading through the Bible in, in a year, and I had not done it because I was doing something else, And but Dan had done it. And so in June, in the middle of the Bible reading plan, I just picked up where they were hmm. and started reading through the Bible. And it did not matter where I was. If I was in Leviticus, you know, you think some of the driest spots in the Bible, it did not matter where I was. God met me wow. on that page so personally and so practically. Wow. And it was enough for that day. I could go back into the house and parent my kids. That's so good. Enough for the day. Enough for the day. Right. That's the, that's the promise that he gives us, you know, grace for today. Then he promises strength for tomorrow. And, um, and, and so, you know, I, I wonder if you can remember any like, moments that became really pivotal for you during that time where you're communing with God, you're journaling, you're praying, you've got your sacred space there, which I think is so huge for, for in grief to carve out even more so that sacred space because everything is fighting for attention and, you know, to distract us in general always. And we have to know that, you know, when we walk through some things that need to be mourned over, whether it's loss of something or someone, whatever it is, um, our tendency is going to be, especially in Western culture, to try to just distract away from those emotions. But, you know, it sounds like you were very vigilant and intentional about, I'm going to create a sacred space so that I can 
you know, really uh, uh, receive from God whatever it, he, whatever it is that he's wanting to do in me and through me in this. Um, and, and so I'm glad you, you carved that space out. What I know about God is that when you do carve that space out, he shows up for you, and he shows up for you in a very personal way. Can you remember any personal ways that were just like these pivotal, almost like milestones to your grief journey? It was like aha moments where you go, I need, oh my gosh, I needed that. That was so, that was so personal from God. Yes. One of them came when I was on the phone with a friend of mine and she's, and I said, I just want to fast forward. I just want to fast forward 15 years because I know God will be faithful, but I want to be an old woman rocking in my rocking chair on the front porch and looking back over it. And she said, you will not be the person God wants you to be unless you walk this out. Mm. And it was like from God's mouth to my heart. Wow. And I knew she was right. And as hard as it is to walk through it, because you are right, we want to we want to go to Disney <laughs> and just you know, be on the happiest place. We want to, uh, you know, people can turn to substances. Mm. want to binge Netflix. I mean, there's so many ways that we can do it. Um, we can mask or escape pain. But I knew she was right, that God was doing something. And this does not, again, this is not a, um, like, this is not a platitude that erases the pain because right. the pain is raw and it is there. Right. But I knew that God, I already knew that God was doing so much in me. I mean, he, you know, we were in constant dialogue, like never before. Mm. His word was so clear to me. His, his personal wisdom to me was so, I was getting downloads. He was bringing back like Bible stories mm. and Bible verses that I had memorized and kind of applying them to my life in new ways. Um, that was a pivotal moment. And then a little bit later in my grief journey, this was huge. Just, I think the second year was super hard for me because I was through all the firsts and really the raw, raw grief, but I was in a place of despair mm. because I was still, I still was in a life that I didn't want yeah. and that I would have given back if I could, had the choice. Yeah. And um, the reality that this, that I couldn't give it back was very difficult. Mm. And I remember journaling one day and kind of these words came out of my pen that this was not God's plan B, that God doesn't have a plan B, that while it was definitely not what I had expected, this was, this was God, this was chapter two for God, that just like we talked about that every day has been written in God's book before one of them came to be, God knew that this would come. He wasn't, he hadn't turned his head away. He hadn't missed something. I didn't get second best. Hmm. Um, He wasn't giving me the leftovers of a life that I wanted. And so it caused me to lean hard into that truth because I didn't feel it yet. I didn't feel like, I still felt like I got the leftovers, right. but I knew that wasn't true. And so I had to lean hard into the truth that God has, has as much abundance this side of Dan's death and as much good and life and joy hmm. as um, there was that side of Dan's death. Wow. That's good. That's so good. Um, let me kind of bring this up too, because, you know, one of the things that you mentioned a moment ago is this, you know, this conversation you had with your 19 year old and 16 year old, and they're like, we're going to be okay. And you said kind of passing, you know, dad, dad set some things up and we have some financial security in this. And I, I, we don't talk about this really ever. I'm not sure if we've ever talked about this on the Nothing is Wasted podcast, but I want to emphasize how important it is when people are listening to this and maybe they, they 
they they're not in the situation that we've been in. They're, you know, they have kind of a normal family unit or they have, you know, but the reality is, is that we never know when one of us is going to pass. You know, if you're a married couple, you have a family, you, you never know. And just, you know, how important it is to have those conversations and set up those arrangements, life insurance, wills, you know, talking about what you would want to have happen if something were to happen to you. I, I remember that was a, that was a lifesaver for me because right before Amanda passed away, it was actually before Weston was born. So it was about a year before Amanda passed away. We were going through that whole process. We were doing Dave Ramsey, you know, and, and at that point, whatever Dave Ramsey said, we did it. And so he said, you need to have these legacy conversations is what he called it. And so we went and took a walk and it was like, this is an awkward conversation, but if something were to ever happen to me, babe, what would you, you know, uh, here's what I would want you to do. And what would you want me to do if something were to ever happen to you? And it, it seemed like we we're just kind of brushing it away. But then after afterwards, I went back and reflected, man, I'm so glad we had already made some of those decisions, even though they're really weird and awkward to make, you know, and you may never have to cross that bridge, hopefully. But in those moments that you do have to cross that bridge, it makes that decision making process so much easier. Would you agree in, in the situation that you're in? Yes, I affirm that so much. Um, so Dan had had um, made those decisions and it was like a love note to his mm. family. It was like the last, like, I love you enough that I went ahead and did this. So a couple things. One is I think we a lot of times have this superstition, mm. deep see the superstition that if we get the life insurance policy or we get, make a will or we write out our plans for our memorial service, that it kind of like, will make it happen mm. sooner. You yeah. know what I mean? There yeah. could be, you know. It's like a fear. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So it's not so much that we don't want to do that for our family, but there is fear around surrounding that. Um, and sometimes indecision. But we go back to that same verse that every day has been written in, in God's book before one. And so it, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone, but um, my kids, my boys came to me again and they said, oh yeah, dad wrote out what he wants for his funeral. And I said, what? And they said, yeah, dad. And he had told them like wow. in his truck one day, driving down the road, he had told them. So I had his work computer. He had gone into work that day and it was wow. there and I got into it. And sure enough, he had a document and he had listed out the song he wanted to play for me, the song he wanted to dedicate to his children. He had his testimony in there, wow. um, his salvation testimony. And, um, he had uh, the food he wanted served and why this thing, dessert was special that his wife always made and why this. He had um, talked, he was mentoring a young man and uh, the young man was just super gifted in um, piano. And after they got up, it was about a couple weeks before Dan passed away, suddenly, no notice. Um, he, as they were getting up from the table, he turned to the guy and he said, oh yeah, and I want you to play the piano and get a whole bunch of, um, he was like in a group of, you know, peers, right. get all of you all to come sing hymns at my service, at my memorial service. And the guy thought it was odd yeah. to say, and it, it, it was odd. I don't think Dan had any hint whatsoever. Wow. These are just the ways that God goes before us. Wow. But it was such a gift to have that document and to know, be, first of all, be able to hand it to somebody so I didn't have to take care of all of that yeah. amidst, you know, tending my children too. Wow. But what a gift to know that this was, this was his heart yeah. on paper for us. 
Lisa, I just, I mean, I got chills when you said that, especially the part of like him sharing his testimony, like writing down his testimony so that even after he's passed, even after he has gone beyond this world into the next world, you know, he's at the, he's in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, his legacy is still ringing out. His testimony is still bearing witness to what Jesus had done for him in his life. And, um, you know, he was an evangelist right there, even though he wasn't physically present. How incredible is that? Man. Okay. I'm very challenged now. I'm going to go and write all that. I had never made that kind of a document. I want to go make that document. And to your point, we don't need to be, um, fearful that if, oh man, I've gotten this prompting that I should go make this document or, you know, that means something's going to happen. I, you know, I, I, I travel quite a bit for what we do, you know, and I travel and speak. And so just a couple weekends ago, I was traveling without my family and I was like, man, I just need to write a note just in case something were to happen. Let me write a note and put it on my desk and put it next to the wills. Hey, if anything were to happen to me, you know, here's my, here's my wishes, but I want you guys to know this. And Christy found it while I was gone. She was like, what is this? And I'm like, you know, it's it just in case. I don't know. Um, and I made it back safely and everything was fine. But it just was, you know, it's just something. I mean, you know how special that is on this side of things, Lisa. And you can attest to that. And so, I'm, you know, that challenges me quite a bit. And hopefully it challenges everybody that's listening to this. Hey friends, let me just take a moment and ask you this. If Nothing Is Wasted has been a part of your healing journey from pain to purpose in any way, shape, or form, I wonder if you'd partner with us in this. We would love for you to take this opportunity to share about the incredible work and resources we have for those in pain with your local church pastor. That's right, I'm asking you to share something with your pastor. We've all seen the impact the past few years have had on us as individuals and our communities collectively, especially our spiritual communities. So often what is keeping those inside the church from the mission God has set in front of them is the personal pain that they're wrestling through. And we know the church is God's plan for bringing healing and restoration to a broken world, but it must first be experienced within the church itself. That's why on Thursday, May 12th, I'll be hosting an invitation-only Zoom call for pastors to help research and work alongside those in any kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition. This interactive call will give pastors the opportunity to hear from other pastors how the Pain to Purpose course has positively impacted their churches, discover resources and tools that will lighten the load of their church staff, and help the people within your congregation heal so you can move forward together on mission for the kingdom and affect massive change in your community. Space is limited on this Zoom call, so if you have personally benefited from the Pain to Purpose course or the Nothing is Wasted community or the Nothing is Wasted podcast, we would love for you to help us spread the word. Invite your pastor and send them the link to sign up so they can learn more and register. You can find that link at www.nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. We know God wants to partner with us in our pain and turn it into an even greater purpose than we could have ever imagined. And you can be the catalyst for that healing journey in your local church by simply connecting your pastor with what we're doing here at Nothing Is Wasted. Reach out to your pastor and let them know that we are ready to help them move their community from pain to purpose 
We've created a digital invite page that you can text or email to your pastor. Simply go to nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com forward slash pastors. We invite you to share with your pastor how Nothing Is Wasted has impacted you. Then encourage them to learn more by sharing that invitation link with them. Looking forward to a powerful discussion with pastors across the country and maybe even the world on Thursday, May 12th. Again, find more information at nothingiswasted.com slash pastors. You know, Lisa, we talked about you have seven kids. And at the time of Dan's passing, how, what, were the, what were the age ranges? I had a four-year-old, um, six-year-old, uh, 12, 14, 16, 17, and 19. Uh, I have five boys and two girls. Wow. Wow. Okay, you know, something that, I mean, so many people who are listening to this that are in a situation of widowhood, you know, and probably the most predominant questions that we get pertain to how to walk your kids through this grief process. And, you know, in your situation, you have such a wide range of ages that you're attending to. You know, it's it's one thing if you're like, they're, they're kind of the same age bracket and you're walking with that collective group of kids, you know, in my situation, right? It's like, we've, they're, they're pretty close to each other. And so we're just going to walk together. We're doing you know, bedtime at night and we'll have the same conversations, but you're talking about, you're walking with almost seven different individuals through their grief, not just as a mom, almost a counselor while you're dealing with your own grief. Can you just, can you just talk to me a little bit about how you've done that? Or, you know, what kind of advice you would give in that? Um, very early on, we sat down probably, you know, right after his service, I think we were sitting down for kind of our first Bible time just everybody sitting on couches around the around the room, living room, and I said, we are gonna need to give each other a lot of grace mm. because each of us is gonna grieve differently. And um, we just I just kept that as kind of our umbrella. I didn't so much repeat it all year, but I certainly tried to internalize it myself. For me, grace for myself, but also grace for my children. Mm. For, for the younger ones, for the four-year-old and six-year-old, they are very, um, they're very blunt about their grief. I mean, my four-year-old, I think for over a year in, in her car seat in the back of the car would say in the middle of, you know, something else, I miss daddy, I miss daddy. Mm -hmm. And we'd have the same conversation every day. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, Lisa, don't get fret like you answer these questions like they're the first time because she is trying to figure out permanency of this. Yeah. My six-year-old would run around the neighborhood with his friends, just like you would never have known anything. They went on a play day, a friend came over and um, I'm so grateful, got my four-year-old and six-year-old the day that Dan passed away and the house was filling with people oh. and decisions were being made and took them like to a little play day, wow. um, which was good for them. Yeah. And so my six-year-old would run around and play like everybody else, but at night when the house was quiet, um, on the pillow, he slept in my bed for, you know, months. Mm. Um, his dad's side, you know, that's when the tears would come. He would open up and we could have good conversations. My 12-year-old, 
14 year old, 16 year old, so those are all boys. And they, I found that they, of course, they're not super, um, they didn't want to talk about it on their own. They were fine if I asked them questions, but they didn't bring it up on their own or just share with me what, what was going on in their heart. I mean, they're boys, A, and then they're teen and tweens. Yeah. And, um, they also wanted to be, they wanted, they didn't want to be that kid whose dad had. Mm. So like at church, they had asked us to come up as a family. The past, our pastor was doing a sermon series and he wanted people to come up and like hold a poster that said, I went through this struggle and then flip it over and say like, but God met me this way. Mm. And it was a couple months after Dan died and they asked us to go up as a family. And my boys were like, no, mm. absolutely not. And it surprised me, but um, they also wanted to go to church. So Dan died on a, Friday morning, a Father's Day weekend, and um, we had we didn't have the service until the next Tuesday. So that's Sunday. Oh. They, that Saturday night, they said we want to go to church tomorrow, and I was nowhere ready. I didn't want to talk to people, wow, or hug, geez. or answer questions. Especially on a Father's and we slipped Day into weekend. the back. Oh, but for goodness. them, they wanted normalcy. Wow. And my teen daughter was very, you know, very open. Very, she needed a lot of conversation. Um, I think for, for, for the older ones, it's really important to try to get other adults into their life who understand, even if they haven't walked through that, yeah. they are somebody who they those teens can go to for advice, can talk to, can pour into them, especially like in my case, losing a father. I wanted to very intentionally find men, mostly they were either coaches at our, the school they played for or men at church who could pour into my kids. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. It, it, it takes a village, especially as you're parenting older kids, you know, it, it takes a lot. And, and um, I haven't, we haven't experienced this in our season of life yet because our kids are, you know, at the time of this recording eight, seven, and two. So they're, they're nearing that side of things where they're starting to look up to other people. But I remember as a youth pastor, how many of the parents and of the kids in our youth group were leaning heavily on me and our other youth leaders to really, you know, disciple and walk through and say things that the parents had been saying, but like they wouldn't, you know, they would take it so much better from, uh, from a youth leader or some other kind of person of influence in their life. And so, you know, leveraging those relationships are really, really key. There's still a, a guy, a family that we stay connected with at the church that, that I was pastoring who will call me every once in a while and say, hey, I think it'd probably be a good time to give my son a call and just catch up with him because he's you know, familiar with, there's something he's struggling with. You're probably the best person to kind of like walk with him in this. And so I, I love that. I love that you were really intentional about how do I get other people around this village, around the, my, my boys, my older kids, and, and help them through this process? It's so good. So good. And I think some of that can happen organically. You, you, you may have people in your life who step in and do that, but we also need to um, look for that. And um, I have mm -hmm. one friend who went out and asked when her children would reach a certain age, would ask a couple to come in and mentor yeah. um, as she parented, you know, single parented. Um, I just tried to get my kids, you know, our church was super good, but I also would try to kind of steer them into sports where I knew that the coaches, for instance, I had one son that wanted to play football and I'm like not a football mom. <laughs> we were kind of against football. <laughs> we were like, go play basketball. You don't hurt your head. <laughs> but I knew that 
he had friends whose dads were super active. Even if they weren't coaching, they were on the field with them. They were taking the boys back and forth. They were, you know, handing out the Gatorade. And I wanted my boys to be around. I wanted this son to be around that. Yeah. And it was easy. It was a, it was an easy circumstance for these other dads because they were already doing their own son. You know what I mean? Yep. Just to take my son along. I'll tell you this too. Um, I had for my, so my, you know, we'd had like the talk. I mean, we had talked about our, to our kids about, you know, sexual education issues all along, but now it was all on me. Yeah. And I had this 12 year old and Dan would always kind of take the boys, you know, when they were 13 and do stuff. And so for that 12 year old, I went to, his best friend's father, who was a godly man, knew him very well, trusted him. And I just said, um, if you would, sometime when the time is right, and I'll leave that up to you, just talk to him the way you talk to your own son. Mm. And I trust you. I'm not telling you what to say and what not to say, but he needs to hear it from a dad, wow. a grown man. Wow. That's so good. You know, Lisa, we have a lot of single moms who listen to this as well. And you've given some very good practical things that they can do to surround their kids with other people and leverage the relationships, kind of build a team for themselves through that single mom season. Um, but I, I wonder if you have any insight too into kind of speak into their heart and what what do they need the most? What do they need to be reminded of the most when it comes to God, you know, for their own soul? In their parenting or as a person? Probably just as a person, as a single mom, you know, as someone who feels alone in, in all of this, right? And you don't have that counterpart, that partner to bounce decisions off of, to, to walk through this with, you know, and you're, you're just feeling, you're like, man, I'm exhausted. I feel alone. I feel like I'm carrying this heavy burden. How does God see them? You know, how, how can you encourage their heart? Well, I'm going to get very real. Mm. Um, I have been in this for 10 years. And I, if you had told me 10 years ago, I still would be single. I would have been very upset. Mm. I asked God from the get go, as much as my heart was broken over Dan, I did not want to be not married. I did not want to go through life as a single mom. I did not want to be, I just didn't want, I didn't want that. Um, and that hasn't happened for me and, um, God may have it yet, but that has been, a, it is one more way that just keeps me going to God. It, it does so many things. Number one, it chisels out my expectations and assumptions. Mm. Um, it's helped me see that my healing doesn't come because of an outcome, because of a person, that I better figure out how to be fully satisfied in Christ right now wow. as a single mom, as a single woman, if before God ever brings anybody else, because I won't, if I'm not satisfied now, I will not ever be satisfied no matter what God brings into my life. Yeah. Um, the loneliness is real. Again, that doesn't take away the pain of the loneliness, but in that place, I think we just have to know that this is not like wasted time, that this is not like second best, that this is very intentional time. And to and to live it, mm. to find the abundance here, whether that is pouring into our family, pouring into ministry, pouring into a job that God gives us. For me, it's been pouring into my family and ministry, yeah. and it's given me a, a lot of purpose. Mm. Um, so I think for that single mom, just, just wrestling through knowing that your healing, your completeness, 
your wholeness is not going to come when fill in the blank. Yeah. It's, it's got to come now through God alone. That's so good. Lisa, that is so, so good. Oh, you know, um, you, you talk about this idea of purpose and I know that purpose over the past 10 years has been one of those things that's propelled you. One of the out, one of the outpourings of that purpose has been this book and, and, um, I'm, I'm sure that it's, it feels like a, you know, like kind of a, a labor of love in that, but there's so many rich things that you talk about in this book. Um, one of the things I, I'd love for you to, to really underscore for us and, and kind of unpack is when you talk about idols of self-sufficiency, this is a profound concept that this loss kind of moved you from this self-dependent type mentality to a God-dependent mentality. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us? Yes. I mean, early on, you know, in that minivan, crying out to God, I would write at the top of my journal, it all caps, bold, like, I cannot do this. This is too hard. Mm. And I think by this, I meant like, parent my children. I was very feel, fearful that they might act out in their grief, that, that I thought, how am I gonna get these teen boys to grow men as a single mom? Yeah. I had a lot of fears. And then fixing my own broken heart and my own emotions. So I cannot do this. This is too hard for me. Mm-hmm. But as I would write that out, um, as a prayer, as a, as a like declaration of a, as a cry for help, God w- was kind of also telling me, this is exactly where I created you to be. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't create you to be able to handle this and to do things on your own. And you were created for a relationship where you depend not like with some areas of your life, with a little bit of the things that you can't handle, but a hundred percent on me. And as believers, you know, we want to do that. We want to trust God a hundred percent, but we're, we don't want the circumstances that are going to make us do that. Mm. And so we push against the very circumstances that cause us to have to be in that place of utter dependence on God. And as painful as those circumstances are, it is, it is, um, it is such a good place to be. And I remember kind of in a conversation with God saying, I, when I feel better, because I was certain that he would walk me through, I don't want to remember this intimacy with you that I have gained. I don't want to remember what it means to have to trust you for every decision. I don't want to remember what it, has to, what it means to have to trust you for my provision. Mm. And um, for the wisdom to to parent my children, so that place of utter dependence of God just it does it. You know, when our heart is broken open, it's a good time for God to clean us out, right. and it reveals the idols that we've had that yeah. we've just kind of polished and nurtured. We didn't even realize were really there, yeah. and one of those is that idol of self sufficiency. That is so good, so good. You know. Um, I think what we forget sometimes is that as our creator, God knows how our souls and how our lives are going to function best. And so it can sound if you, if you're cynical about this whole thing and you're like, man, it sounds like God's a kind of narcissistic that he wants us to be dependent on him. You know, Uh, if you look at it like that, you know, it's, it's like, no, 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 you're missing, you're missing the point. God is our creator and he knows exactly how he has tuned our soul such that when we are completely satisfied in him, when we are completely dependent on him, 
we become most satisfied in this life. We live our best life when we're fully dependent on him. And, um, and while that's, you know, a lot easier to say as like a theological statement, it's a lot more difficult to practice. And unfortunately, these kinds of situations that we go through expose how difficult that is to practice. And it also draws us into that space. And we get to see him. Mm. You know, I could have taught my kids all for all their growing up time about God. I could have read about him, but until we walk with him where we are dependent on him, we just don't see him revealed in ways yeah. that we would have otherwise. And that is right there sitting next to the pain is this amazement mm. at who God is and his presence that kind of walks with us and it. it's not that the pain goes away or is erased or minimized it's right there together yeah. and you know we saw that I, I remember saying to my kids very early on this is not normal and i don't know why i felt like i needed to say that but they were children and maybe maybe you know four-year-old six-year-old but i said you know most most families don't go through this i said but you have an opportunity yeah. to see god in ways that you never would and he will shape you in ways in this um, that you will use your entire life. You will, you know, those words are from God because I guarantee they were nowhere in my own, you know, repertoire of mothering. Um, but that is so true. And it was um, such such a, a privilege to watch God do things in our family that I knew were faith. Now I'm crying. I cry not because it hurts, but because God is so good. But yeah. there were faith milestones for my kids. I remember one day we were sitting down and uh, we got this knock on the door and uh, somebody was at the door we didn't know. And my kids we were asking, who are you, who are you? It was a man, a woman, a little boy. And they said, all you need to know is that we um, are delivering something for, to you and it's straight from God. Mm. And we asked them all these questions. What well, was a noodle S car that fed our whole family? Wow. It was the nicest car I've ever had. Wow. And I mean, to see those kids, just their jaws hanging open. And to know that this came straight, you know, they would not tell us who they were or who had given it to our family, but to see that provision that God had. Um, and then there were very personal, small ways. One time my six-year-old was, uh, was in the house and I went outside and he had gotten out his dad's BB gun and was shooting in the backyard. We live in a neighborhood. We do not live on a you know, <laughs> property. And um, so I had that talk with him. You can't get the BB gun out. And, you know, it had been locked up and he knew where the key was. And, you know, it's dangerous. And, and if you want to do it, you have to get me, you have to get your, you know. So we locked it up. Well, that the next day I walked out and I found the same thing. He had done it again. And this time I wasn't, didn't give the whole patient little, you know, spiel. I got onto him and I was like, this is going to be gone and I will break it. We will throw it away. This is dangerous. You know, the whole mom thing. Not my best parenting moment, but when I went back in, I went into the laundry room and just shut the door and just put my head into a pile of towels and started weeping because in my heart, I knew the problem wasn't his disobedience. The problem was he wanted a connection to his dad. Mm. And that connection had been the, that BB gun and his dad wasn't here to shoot it with him. Mm. And um, I didn't mean so much as pray as just kind of cry out to God. And I want you to know within the hour, I got a phone call from a friend who said, her husband wanted to have this my son over and one of my other boys would always take two 
to their farm with his sons, and is there anything special that, that I wanted them to do? And I said, yes. Will you let him shoot guns with you? Will you take him out? Just let him shoot guns and get it out of his system and just talk to him like you talk to your boys about gun safety. Wow. I mean, wow. only God can connect oh those God. dots. And so we see him as not just some God on paper in the Bible right. or for Joseph and Moses, but our God, like a living God. That is so, wow. That's amazing. Beautiful. I think we forget that not only is God walking us through this grief process personally, and we, we feel it, we sense it, but he's faithful to walk our kids through it personally, the customized way that they need, right? And that's what's so, uh, that's what's so amazing about this transcendent God who is you know so much bigger and other than us, and yet he's also so intimate that he's able to intimately connect with each person in our family to walk them in the steps that they need through this pathway of pain. That's what amazes me about God, right? And that's what makes me, I'm sure it has for you, makes me put my trust in him even more and, and not rely on myself. You know, as someone who's in ministry, often I can think, oh, I've got to have the right answer. I've got to say the right thing. I've got to pray the right prayer when I'm sitting here ministering to this person but the reality is, is the Holy Spirit does a much better job of ministering to somebody's heart than I ever could. And my role is just to facilitate that, be a vessel for that. And that's including as a parent as well. Um, just, wow. So Lisa, that's amazing to just, uh, that encouraged me so much, so much to hear that. You know, you, you've written this book, Life Can Be Good Again. It's an incredible title. It's a very hopeful title. It can also be probably a confusing title for someone who's sitting there in the midst of all of this. Life can be good again, putting your world back together after it falls apart. Can you tell me just kind of as a final question, what, what is your hope for this book? If you're sitting across and having a cup of coffee, like we talked about earlier with, you know, a young widow, a young widower, someone who's experienced some other kind of loss, you know, they feel like their life is just kind of crumbling around them. And you're saying life can be good again. What are you hoping that if they pick this book up, what are you hoping that they experience? I remember thinking, I'm going to, I will never smile again. Mm. And I had somebody tell me who had been through a very hard, a very different circumstance, but something very hard, a loss. Um, she said, you know, life was never, life will never be as happy again, you'll never have that happy exuberance again, but you won't ever have this hard again. In other words, that if I could make it through, that I would kind of, you know, squinch life down so that I would never have the hard, hard, but I would never have the really mm. good. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I fought against that. Even as she said that, I thought, I do not want to coast through the rest of my life on indifference. Mm to and i want to smile again so my hope with this book is that we can walk through you know we can't fix somebody's pain yeah. but we can share the truths in scripture what god offers us things like lament mm -hmm. um proactive steps that we can take because one of the things is that in tragedy we just feel like we're such a victim of the circumstances yeah. and and yet there are steps that we can take yeah. to to move us forward and it's not always linear it's one step forward two steps back one step down you know right. but we are that is moving forward and so to to tell her that 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 
life can be good again, that, that God does have much for you. And that if you will do the hard work of grief, because we don't mince that in the book either. Mm-hmm. We talk about hard emotions right. and um, hard questions and what to do with those. Walk through those that we will get to a time, even if we don't feel it right now, we can cling to the hope and the promise that we are doing the work today, which will lead us to next month, couple months down the road, to feel good again. Yeah. And that pain that that missing is always there. You know, as your kids grow, and I'm sure you see this with your children, they hit a new stage and they realize fresh what a dad, you know, oh, that's what a dad is, or yeah. that's what a mom is. Yeah. My mom, what, you know, is you're picking up your children from something and the moms are there cheering in the stands yeah. or showing up at the field trips. That's what a mom does. Mm-hmm. So the loss is always there, but we can also find our smile again. Yeah, Yeah. that's so good, Lisa. So encouraging, so encouraging. We're so grateful that you've spent some time with us today and encouraging us. I know that so many of the folks who are listening to this want to get connected with you more. I want to encourage you. We'll put this in the show notes. Pick up Lisa's book, Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It Falls apart. It releases April 19th. So if you're listening to this after April 19th, it's already out. It's in the world. And so I know Lisa would be very grateful for you to pick it up. Where can we follow what you're doing? Where can we kind of keep following along with your writing and, you know, the other things, the other ministry that you're doing out of this? The best place to find me, um, I'd love to connect with you, is at my site, lisaapolo.com. That's two P's and one L. Um, and everything's there. You can find more about the book there at lisaapolo.com um, backslash life can be good again. Find out about the writing. We can connect. And yeah, I would love to answer any questions or connect. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Lisa, thanks so much for spending time with us. It's been great and so encouraging. And man, just a couple of those moments there where I'm getting like stirred up. So thank you for, for just reminding us of the goodness of God, no matter what we have walked through. Thank you. Yeah. Rich conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Davey. Davey, such an encouraging conversation with Lisa. I feel like even if you haven't been through the type of loss she's been through, so much that's relatable for any Christian and like... I mean, seasons of hardship, but also just like the Christian journey right. Right. Um, that that woman, I felt like just spewed wisdom the whole time. Yeah. yeah, she really did. And, you know, it's it was so helpful to sit and talk with her as well, because I think it was nice to be reminded. I mean, she said something in there that really, it really cued me on something as well. She said something, something to the effect of your healing, your completeness, your wholeness is not mm. going to come when... Fill in the blank. Yeah. And how many times do we believe that? That we're like, right. hey, I'm just kind of looking toward this thing, or I think this is the thing that's going to ultimately when when mm-hmm. God brings this into my life, or when I'm able to do this, or when I'm able, you know, mm-hmm. then I'll say that I'm healed, or then I'll then mm-hmm. I'm complete, then I'm whole. And so often that happens in widowhood in those kinds of cases where it's wow. like I'm looking for kind of God to re, re- replace, I want to, you know, I stay away from that word, I guess, because yeah. nobody's ever replacing, but to fill that void that uh-huh. I have in my life now mm-hmm. with 
another husband, another wife, right? Mm -hmm. And that companionship. And then once I have that, then my healing is complete. And the Mm -hmm. reality is, is the space that you're in right now where you do feel that void, God wants to fill that space. And he wants to once again make you complete. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I I was thinking about that quote too. Your healing, your completeness, your wholeness is not going to come when. Because even if you're not walking through a season of like losing a spouse, Mm -hmm. a child, that can be true in seasons of like job loss or financial stress, right? Like when I finally make this bottom line, when we finally achieved this certain level of success or whatever it is, right? When I get that job that I've always wanted, uh, then that means God is like blessing me, has favor for me. I've like, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I do think we can begin to equate that with our own healing, our own identity. And so that was powerful to me to think about, no, she's saying the invitation for healing is through God himself. Yes. And it's now, right? (laughs) Like not when this one thing happens, but like the invitation is to find healing through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ because of God, the Father's love for us. Now and of right. course that's a journey. Like we experience healing, we're on a journey, it's but ongoing. that we don't have to wait until we hit whatever that milestone is. Like you said, finding right. the new spouse or leveling up in our careers or whatever but it is. Especially if there's if we're like relying on something externally, something mm-hmm. outside of us mm-hmm. to fill whatever that is to like to to help us find that yeah. healing. Yeah, it's setting ourselves up for extreme disappointment mm. because anything outside of us, other than the person of Jesus, right? Other yep. than God's spirit himself. Yeah. Anything outside of us, it always overpromises and underdelivers. Is that so true, Davey? It just you're, does. It just does. And even if you're in like the happiest marriage of your life or right. you're in the best job of your life or you, oh, you love raising your kids, it still doesn't ultimately satisfy the soul yeah. like completely the way that the presence of Jesus Christ can. Right. Like when you, you know, any of us who've been walking with Jesus, you know, when you get like a touch from God or an intimate word from God mm. or a moment from God or like the word breaks through, like there's nothing yeah. like that. There's just nothing like God's presence. Yeah. And, but I think maybe because God's presence sometimes feels like it's distant from us or we can't grab a hold or whatever. Then that's when we go searching for all those other things, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it is it's it's Jesus, yeah. and um, yeah. I think for all of us, a call to kind of come back to like Jesus. You're the one who satisfied me. All the other things are blessings and bonuses, but right. they're not what I'm after. I'm, He's I'm after you. Yeah. He's enough. If yeah. we have everything, but we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. Mm. And right, adver- adversely, if we have nothing, but we have Jesus. We have everything. We have everything. And what does it look like? And maybe that's a challenge for us as you're listening to Lisa's conversation, as you're Mm -hmm. listening to this right now, maybe, maybe the challenge is, is how do you in the, in like the being stripped completely bare in life, how do you, how are you still a whole person? Oh yeah, that's good. Right. Because that's, that is possible. Mm -hmm. And that is what, that's the invitation that Jesus has for us, Mm. you know? So man, I, I feel like that's, yeah, that's just a good question. I'm sitting here thinking about it, Davey, even now in my own life. What what are the places my, for my kids? Mm. You know, as Lisa's, you know, raising those seven kids, like what are there places where they think, okay, when we get here as a yeah. family or when I have this? So I think for all of us, like you said, all of us who are following after Jesus, whether it's been a long time or we're like brand new to the faith, right? right. how can we, um, how, how is God inviting you into healing now? Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's, I think that's that, a good question. That's tough for personalities like you and me. I mean, you're, you're a Enneagram four, <laughs> right. wing three. I'm a three, wing four. So we both right. have that goal achievement nature. Oh, man, we do. And so it's not a bad thing to want to right. aspire to or strive after certain things, right? right? But if that then becomes our contingency of contentment, right? It's like, mm-hmm. well, I can't be content unless this. Mm-hmm. I can't be content then one, I think God, I think you're setting God up to, to like, just show you, Hey, we're going to find a season where you're going to have to be content without so true. these strivings or these goals or these achievements. So true. I find that happen in my life so many times. I'm like, all right, I see what you're trying to do, Lord. Right. Like this is just going to always be out of my, out of my grasp until I realize that's not yes. the thing that's going to fulfill me. Right. Right. Oh, oh, sometimes I don't want to learn those lessons, Davey, <laughs> but you're right. And I, I think too, it's good for us to remember, like it's God's kindness that leads yeah. to repentance it's god's That's kindness right. that leads to our healing ultimately as he like helps us let go of those things yeah. that we hold on to those idols really that we think That's will right. make us That's we think exactly will make right. us complete it's it's him it's oh, him man. so good well, if, if you um, enjoyed some of the wisdom that Lisa brought today, we have a whole lot of that type of wisdom and resources mm-hmm. over at our community platform. You can go yeah. to nothingiswasted.com slash community. Daily, uh, Davey, daily, Davey, can you talk about the community plus <laughs> and everything that's going Davey on there? Daily right here. Davey Daily, <laughs> talking about community plus. Yeah, I mean, there's so many resources there available to you. Nothingiswasted.com, nothingiswasted.com slash community. But this community platform, I have really been enjoying because it's completely free to join and you are able to connect with other people all over the world who are going through the exact same thing that you're going through. And we're filling that with all kinds of content. There's a lot of conversations happening. And then there are also some special offerings only to our community platform members, such as master classes uh, mm-hmm. taking place from our coaches. Uh, once a month, at least right now, we're doing a master class. Um, and then um, Community Plus is an offering that's kind of a more premium offer. If somebody wants to pay $20 a month and get all additional content, uh, as well as all the replays of those master classes and so many other resources that are not available just to the community, the free, the, um, the free plan right there. And um, one, this is a way for, uh, for you to partner with us as we're continuing to yeah grow the ministry of nothing is wasted so that we can help more and more people. And so it helps us financially, but it also gives you so much good content to help you as you're navigating whatever valley, whatever pain point that you're navigating right now. And so we'd love to invite you to partner with us in that. Uh, again, nothingiswasted.com slash community. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. You can go and download his music anywhere music can be downloaded and streamed. And we want to invite you to follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Obsamp. Um, Aubrey, last week Christy was with me, and it was it was such a joy to have her. But it's such a joy to have you back. Oh, I thank you. I'm so again. glad to be back. I know Christy. I know Christy's like she's killer on the podcast. She's she so good at it. I mean, she I don't really want her is. to. I don't want her to like take my chair. No. but I definitely feel like she needs to be she's on. She's gonna more, go and start so. her own podcast. Yeah, yeah. She's she, gonna do that's yeah, what she, she needs, needs to, do. to do that. She definitely <laughs> needs to do that. For well, I'm sure. just glad to have you back, and I know our listeners are glad to have you back after a little bit of a a little bit of a sabbatical away from yep. the, pod, the podcast. Yep, that's so. right. Well, next week we have a very special guest, Dale. Crying camp. Crying camp. Okay. I'm that telling is a you, very some of these cool names. Last name. Well, we just did, you know, last week we did Yuri and Madison, and I'm still not going to try to pronounce their name. The, you know, <laughs> the missionaries from Ukraine, 
Dale Kreinkamp, wow. not from Ukraine, but has an incredible, I mean, we'll talk more about this next week, Aubrey, but I was not sure what to expect with this. I was blown yeah. away by this conversation. Really? I really uh. was blown away by this man's wisdom. And it's a unique nuance that we have not ever talked about. Mm. And that is unemployment and Whoa. the pain points of unemployment. Wow. So why don't you go ahead and listen to this little clip from my conversation with Dale Kreinkamp. February of 2003, um, at that point in time in my career, we had a new chief operating officer who was on board. And uh, one of the things that he had talked to our leadership team about was a need to begin to reduce the number of employees that we had that he didn't believe we could sustain things with the, the labor costs that we were. And ultimately, the organization had made a decision that we were going to um, start eliminating some jobs. And as a leadership team, we felt as difficult as it was, it really needed to start with the leaders, not the rank and file. And we had made a decision that we were going to eliminate 25 leadership positions uh, the following week. And I was having a conversation with our chief operating officer, and I was reviewing the plans with him. So I was kind of walking through, here's how we're going to do all these things that are on my plate. And at the end of it, he really thanked me. He said, looks like it's really good. Got everything done uh, that we need done. And he got up, but he didn't leave. He stood behind his chair and he paused, which was really odd. And, you know, I, re I recognized it later. And he just looked at me and he said, six little words that forever changed my life. He said, your name is on the list. <laughs> 